You are listening to a message from First Assembly of God. We are a church on a mission to restore everyone, everywhere to a loving and holy God. If today's message inspires you in any way, would you consider sharing it with a friend? This is just one of the many ways that you can be a part of what God is doing here at First Assembly. Can I take, um, can I take five minutes uh, just to let you see uh, what I see. Uh, not I see the church, but I see. I, I can visualize. Uh, today's a really big day. Uh, first, let me start with Zach Rainey, who led our, our worship set this morning. Uh, as many of you know, our, our worship pastor, Kenny, and his wife, Katie Hackbarth, welcomed their second child, little Liam Hackbarth into their family, so he's taken a couple of Sundays off. He'll be back next week. We're excited to have him back leading worship, but didn't Zach do awesome this morning? So the whole set, um, the whole band, Frontline, thank you for leading us in worship. And uh, what, what I see, and I know you, you see a, a young man growing in ministry gifts, but I've watched this for about four years now. Um, and I remember just about a year ago, a really a, a tough decision Zach made to step out of leading worship to our, with our students. And in that year, I've seen two things happen. Number one, our student worship team, Pastor Katie, your band, your vocalist, what's going on on Wednesday night. You know, when you lose a leader, everyone's afraid. Oh no, what's going to happen? And I've seen uh, young men and young ladies, high schoolers, step up, and they sound awesome. They're leading our students into the presence of the Lord in, in music and, and song. And can we just give a round of applause to our Unite worship team? They've done a great job. And so, you know, when, when one leader steps up, you're concerned about creating a leadership vacuum there, and the Unite team has risen to the occasion, and they sound better than ever. And I've watched over this year, Zach, um, learning to lead worship uh, for the adults. And Zach, you did a great job today. I know Kenny pushed you right into the deep end of the pool, and you did, you did awesome. That's, I see that. You're watching worship happen, or you're participating in worship, and I'm seeing God doing stuff that's generational. Generational. Um, that's what's happening with Royal Family Kids Camp. I knew God wanted to do this before I knew he wanted me to come be your pastor. And so tonight, uh, today marks a really big deal. And it's not just for this Sunday or this week at camp. It's changing generations. We cannot, we cannot do the redemptive work of Jesus. That's the Holy Spirit's job. All we can do is share the good news and bring the kingdom of God to people. The kingdom of God is life and peace and love and justice. And then Jesus does his redemptive work. And uh, this team of blue-shirted uh, men and women, they're going to give a week of their year uh, to some really challenging situations. Uh, they'll be pushed. Uh, they'll be bent all the way. You know, blessed are the flexible because they will survive. <laughs> and in the midst of this week at camp, I know I'll come back on Friday when we gather together for our closing banquet and we do the Sotos, the stories of the one. Stories of the one, Soto, S-O-T-O. We'll hear stories of the one. The one kid and the one moment that God will birth in their life that will last them a lifetime. And we'll pray that those seeds that are planted will grow fruit. Yesterday I had breakfast with John Schweider and we're talking, um, what's next? And I know what's next. I'm just not going to tell you. Um, but I will soon. As God begins kind of birthing new strategies and plans to continue what we're starting uh, today. Finally, this is the first time I get to tag team preach with my son. So, 
I've got, I've got a lot going on. I've done my best all morning to remain calloused and closed and not let any emotion through, but I'm just proud of my, all three of my kids, and uh, it's going to be fun to share the Word of God with my, my oldest uh, son, Jacob. Let me say one final thing before we, we move forward. We've got a great team here at First Assembly. Yesterday, we had about 100 individuals um, experiencing some wonderful deaf ministry um, in our gym. They cooked together, they preached, they had great fellowship. And I want to thank um, our deaf leaders and also our facility staff who worked really hard uh, this weekend. Can we give them a round of applause? Everyone do this. And at the same time that the deaf ministry was having their huge event, our VBS was awesome. We had 120 people here, kids, volunteers, workers, powerful Friday night and Saturday. This building was packed with people upstairs, downstairs, everywhere. And so to all of you who follow Pastor Julie and Pastor Dave's leadership, who work so hard in ministry to our children, way to go. So one final round of applause to all of them. It was a powerful weekend. Now, let's jump into the Word of God. We are uh, closing in on our final handful of weeks on our summer-long road trip series. We're going through the book of Acts. We actually started a couple of years ago, and this is our third and final Sunday, or final summer, to go through the book of Acts. And uh, each week now, we've been taking a few moments to go through uh, some flat pastor pictures. So, ready for the flat pastors today? Okay, here we go. I actually crashed a wedding. Joe and Kara Mead's wedding day, there I am. So, come on, let's get some energy here. Next one, oh, Sean, on a Disney cruise, no less. So that's really cool. Sean and Latasha's mom, very good. I am there caving with the Moore family down by Branson, somewhere in southern Missouri. And then someone needs to take Conrad to anger management there. I'm not, I'm not sure what he was doing. Um, it seems threatening to me, actually. Uh, so let's move on to the next one. And the Brown family. Yeah, I'm not going to say anything about that one. We had a great Cubs card Sunday last week. And we uh, so often make it Cubs versus Cardinals. And man, our world needs Cubs and Cardinals. Our world needs people finding common ground, not for political reasons, but for the reasons of the kingdom. And we had a great Sunday last week. One final thing, um, I wouldn't expect anyone to see this newspaper article unless you live in El Paso. Launch meeting, August 2nd, celebrate recovery, coming to El Paso. Isn't that awesome? So this is, our, this is our sister church. We've been mentoring them for a little more than a year. Uh, their new pastor, Scott Mull, uh, was a part of this church about a decade or so ago. Now he's, he's been a board member at the church for a long time. We've appointed him as their pastor. He comes to our staff meetings. We pray. He's been coming to CR. Last Thursday, they had 40 people, two pastors. Three pastors said they wish they could be there, but they can't. So we've got five pastors on this team, five churches, 40 people. Celebrate Recovery is coming to El Paso, and it's because of your faithfulness in giving and leading. We're 15 years into our CR, and now we're planting one right up the road. So isn't that exciting? Great stuff. Great stuff. So here we go. We're on the road trip. Week one, we started with uh, this church in Antioch because the church has gone from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria, now going to the uttermost parts of the earth, and there's this beautifully diverse church in Antioch. Jewish background, Gentile background, African background, um, Southern Asia background, around the area of Turkey, all kinds of different cultures, languages united in Jesus, and it is there that God, through a prophetic word, has set apart Paul and Barnabas for the work I've called them to do. And boom, the kingdom suddenly leaves the area, the greater area of Jerusalem and Samaria. Now it's going throughout the Roman Empire, 
Paul and Barnabas started. So let's just quickly review one week at a time. We've spread throughout the Roman Empire. Next slide. Week one, Paul and Barnabas go to their home island, Barnabas' home area of Cyprus. They meet a guy named Sergius, and there's a big barrier between him and Jesus, and that's this guy named Bar-Jesus, son of salvation. And you'll remember from a, a month and a half ago, Paul confronts him and says, you're standing in the way. You are not Bar-Jesus, son of salvation. You're not son of salvation. You're a son of the devil. And you're going to go blind, and boom, the power of God falls, and Sergius, the governor over that whole island, puts his faith in Jesus. Week two, Paul and Barnabas travel to Lystra, and there God heals a crippled man, and the people think, oh, one of the Greek gods, Zeus, is Barnabas, and Hermes, the spokesperson, that's Paul. The Greek gods have come among us, and they go to worship and sacrifice and honor Paul and Barnabas, because they think they're Greek gods, and Paul and Barnabas like, no, 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 you are following after worthless things, and then they present the gospel to them, and we talked briefly about how many of us get trapped by worthless things in our life. Week three, we're back, we're starting the second missionary trip now. Paul is not with Barnabas, he's with Silas, and they start planting churches in Europe. They cross over from Troas into Macedonia. They end up in Philippi. God does incredible things. He, he delivers a demonized girl, but Paul and, and Silas end up in prison. They're beaten with rods, locked in shackles, but they're praising and singing just like Zach talked about in leading worship today. I'll say yes and I'll praise you even in the prison. And the walls were shaken, the shackles fell, and they're free except they didn't leave, and the Philippian jailer comes back, and you know the story, gives his life to Jesus, and the European church, the first church is established with a Roman guard, a group of prisoners, a formerly demonized slave girl, and a very wealthy CEO lady named Lydia, and the church is birthed. Awesome. Where are we now? Got to catch up. Oh, Philippi to Athens. So that we skip the segment where Paul experiences some severe persecution. He leaves for his own safety and he ends up in Athens. And remember this, as Paul walked through Athens, like about 15 of us walked through the quad at ISU. He's praying over the city. He's looking at the buildings and the structures and the people and he's deeply troubled by the idolatry. Ancient writers said it was easier to find a God in Athens than it was to find a person because the idols were so pervasive throughout the city. And Paul's deeply troubled. So when he has his moment to preach, when he has his moment in front of people, this deeply troubled Paul, the spirit that's unsettled in him comes out so graciously. He said, I see from your many idols that you are very religious people. So let me tell you about how you can know the God that you haven't discovered yet. He shares the gospel. That's where we left off. And now we move to a new season or a new, new city for Paul. Now let's start with a question. Okay, everyone kind of take your right hand, get it loose, get it ready. Take your left hand. Here, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand in a second. Raise your right hand. Okay, it's kind of like Simon says, not yet. Don't raise your hand yet. <laughs> raise your hand if you've been lonely. Not for a day, not for a week, but a lonely season where you were alone. You, you just, maybe you went through a divorce and suddenly as a single mom or a single dad, you are isolated and alone and overwhelmed. You've been alone. I found this to almost always be the case. To suffer is to be alone. There are parts of any season of suffering that no one else can bear. We can come alongside people but in suffering is the sense of isolation and loneliness. Now, next question. How many have been broke? You've been financially upside down. You've been in trouble financially. You've been out of money. Raise your left hand. All right. How many have been broke and lonely at the same time? All right. Yeah. Trouble usually comes like a two-for-one deal. Trouble usually comes as a package. Rarely do you get, well, I'm just feeling lonely, but everything else in my life is awesome. Usually it's this cascading series of events and emotions that kind of get overwhelming. Many scholars would say this next chapter in Paul's missions journey, right in the middle of his second missionary journey, may have been Paul's most difficult. 
the loneliest, the most financially strapped, the most concerning. So as we read this story, I want you to have in your mind that Paul is still alone. He had left his friends back in Thessalonica and Berea to finish establishing the church. He fled because of persecution. He ran away so that he wouldn't be killed. And so he goes alone to Athens, and he's still alone. And he's left Athens, and now he's going to the city of Corinth. And that's where we pick up this story in Acts chapter 18. Then Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. We've got a map here kind of showing you the journey. He begins down here in the lower left, and he goes up through Turkey. He's crossed the Aegean Sea to Philippi. He's come down through some of those smaller cities, and he's ended up alone in Athens at the tip there, and then he's jumped across the Isthmus to the city of Corinth, and he's alone. He didn't have the ability to send a text message to Silas and Timothy. Hey, I've moved to a new city. You're going to have to find me. He couldn't Snapchat them and say, hey, what's your ETA? When are you coming? He was alone, and he really didn't know how he would be found again, trusting most likely that Silas and Timothy would make their way down to Athens, where they thought he was, discover the Christians that were there, find out that he left and went to Corinth, and eventually catch up with him. Paul's by himself. The other bad part about being by himself is he had no money. Paul's financial stream was as a missionary. He left Antioch with a boatload of money. They had probably mapped out how long they thought they would be gone, what they would need to budget for their team of two, which became three. Along the way, churches undoubtedly supported him. So when Paul left Silas and Timothy, I'm sure they planned a schedule. Hey, we'll come down in a couple of weeks, maybe a couple of months. Here's some money that should take care of you. But now Paul is not with the income stream. He's alone. And look at what happens. For the first time, Paul has to do something on his missionary trip. Verse 2. There in Corinth, Paul became acquainted with a Jew named Aquila, born in Pontus, who had recently arrived from Italy with his wife Priscilla. He meets a couple. They had left Italy when Claudius Caesar deported all the Jews from Rome. This happened about AD 49. All the Jews were kicked out. Conflict, they ended up leaving Italy, leaving Rome, and ended up in Corinth. And it was probably in the synagogue where Paul met them. Paul would have been an out-of-town guest, a traveling Pharisee or traveling teacher, they would have assumed to me. He probably shared a few words. And after the synagogue service, he met them at Connecting Point. And Priscilla and Aquila were Connecting Point leaders. And you can imagine their conversation. Hi, I'm Paul. I'm Aquila. I'm Priscilla. How are you? Somewhere in the conversation, Paul said, so what do you do? And Aquila said, well, I'm a tent maker. Paul said, that's what I grew up doing. Paul grew up, his trade, his craft was assembling tents, taking um, animal hide, probably goat, and making tents. So in this conversation over a cup of coffee in the church cafe, Paul's like, you're a tent maker. I'm a tent maker, cool. Having casual conversation, and Paul looks down at the floor, looks in the eye, says, can I ask a favor? I need a job. They said, oh, well, you're a tent maker. Sure, why don't you show up tomorrow morning, 8 a.m., we'll get you started. Thanks, thanks, thanks. And uh, one more thing. I need a place to live. Sure, and that's exactly what happens. He became acquainted with Aquila Priscilla, verse 3. Paul lived with them and worked with them, for they were tent makers, just as he was. Paul had to get a job. Up until this time, Paul was full-time in the ministry, did everything every day for the gospel. Now, he had to take a job. He was out of money. He had to put food on the table. So he begins working and living with Aquila and Priscilla. Verse 4, each Sabbath found Paul at the synagogue, trying to convince Jews and Gentiles alike. Notice that. Luke's very specific. All the other ministry, daily Paul was in this, uh, weekly in the synagogues on the Sabbath day, daily in the marketplaces, preaching, speaking with people, presenting the gospel. Now he's got a day job. Monday through Friday, he's making tents. On Sabbath, or on the synagogue day, He's there teaching the Jews and and God-fearing Greeks about Jesus. 
verse 5. Finally, Silas and Timothy come down from Macedonia. They find Paul. And then from that point forward, Paul quits his tent making. He says, thank you for the short-term employment. Now my financial stream is going, and look what Paul does. Paul spent all his time preaching the word. He testified to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. So for the first time, Paul, alone and broke, he gets a job. And he's doing the best he can just to survive. Had to be a difficult time for him in ministry. And as ministry begins ramping up, he begins sharing his faith more boldly, more consistently. More people are coming to Jesus. The more Paul's in ministry, the greater the opposition. And so here it comes. Verse 6. But when they opposed and insulted him. Isn't that kind of how it escalates? First there's opposition, and then there's verbal threats and insults. You ever see that in a person? First they're mad, they don't like you, and then pretty soon they're threatening you. They're posting things on Facebook. They're saying things on Twitter. They're trying to incite an attack. That's what's happening. The hostility is starting to escalate from resistance to opposition to insult. So Paul shakes the dust off his clothes and said, Your blood, your guilt, your guilt for refusing Jesus is on your head. I'm innocent. From now on, I will go preach to the Gentiles. And boom, you can feel the tension is rising. Then Paul left and went to the home of Titius Justice, a Gentile. Imagine that. The Jew Paul goes to live with a Gentile. That had to be offensive. Already in the state of opposition and insult, then he leaves and starts living with a Gentile. And catch this, where did the Gentile live? Next slide. Lived with a Gentile who worshipped God and lived right next door to the synagogue. Paul is starting a new church right next to the other one. I mean, this is a church split, a synagogue split. Paul says, I'm not having anything to do with you. Your guilt's on your own heads. I'm going right next door, and I'm going to start my own thing right here. Man, the fight's building. Can you feel it? It gets worse. The tension rises. I mean, you can't make this stuff up. It's just how God works. So here it comes, verse 8. Crispus, the leader of the synagogue, And everyone in his household believed in Jesus too. And many others in Corinth heard Paul. So now you've got the synagogue furious at Paul. Paul's set up his own worship area, his own teaching area, right next door in a Gentile's home. And the synagogue leader has joined them. What do you think is going through Paul's mind? Let me ask you. What's going to happen next? Resistance opposition, insult, you've moved next door, you're living with a Gentile. Can you feel the tension building? Work with me. Even if you think you don't feel it, can you lie to me and tell me? (laughs) Can you feel the tension mounting? Can you feel like this is going to explode? It's like the balloon is filling up with more and more and more and something's got to give. The Jews are becoming more and more hostile Paul is becoming more and more bold. This is headed for a fight. Paul knew that. The reason Paul started alone in Corinth is because he had escaped before he was attacked. In fact, just think what was going on through Paul's mind. First missionary journey in Lystra, this happened. Same thing. Kicked out of the synagogue, opposition mounts, They grab Paul, drag him out of the city, and stone him. People don't stone someone to teach him a lesson. They stone someone to kill him and teach everyone who's watching a lesson. They meant to kill Paul. They left him for dead. Can you imagine being bludgeoned with stones, being left for dead? The the fellow believers and friends of Paul gathered around them, and the Bible said, that he got up alive. We don't know if he was dead and God brought him back to life or if God miraculously preserved his life through the stoning. Either way, God kept him and he survived. But can you imagine the fear of that happening the second time? I mean, God can give you boldness, but I don't want to go through that twice. Then Paul and Philippi, same thing. The Jews start getting angry. The crowd, the mobs, they grab him. They beat him with rods, arrest him, throw him in stocks. And thank God he was miraculously set free. But that didn't heal the wounds on his back or make it any less painful. 
That's not something you sign up for twice. What's going on in Paul's mind? Paul knew this could end badly. I'm either going to have to run away and hide to save my life, or I'm going to go through this again. Just because you're a preacher doesn't mean you don't have PTSD, right? Oh, man, I don't want to go through So Paul is desperate. Paul needs to hear from God. Paul needs a season of refreshing. He needs clarity. Now, let's see what God's doing. Come on up, Jake. Give my son a round of applause. What's up, everybody? Check, check. Is this working? Awesome. So we're just going to keep going. Just right at first night, Paul's hurting. He's afraid. He sees the warning signs popping up. I mean, like, we've all been hurt before in our lives, whether it's like a relationship uh, that just goes bad or a workplace where your boss is just starting to hand out your assignments to another worker, and you see these warning signs. And you're like, this isn't good. Paul's in a tough spot. And God, God just comes in right at the right time. Verse 9, one night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision and told him, don't be afraid. Speak out. Don't be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you and harm you. For many people in this city belong to me. So how many know when God gives you a word, you better pay attention to it? When you read in the Bible, this is what God says, that's something important. So let's start breaking this down, exactly what God tells Paul. First thing is don't be afraid. Paul has a lot of reason to be afraid. And normally, when we think of Paul, he's like this great titan of faith, this amazing person to look up to. Um, But he's afraid. He's been hurt before, and he sees it's coming again, and he doesn't know what to do next. And here God says, it's all right. I know what you're going through, and I'm here. My voice is here. My presence is here. And Paul, you don't have to be afraid. Mm -hmm. Speak out, and don't be silent. Now, for Paul... Paul's a preacher. He's a teacher. This is exactly what he does. He goes around and he talks. He speaks. God's not telling Paul to do anything different than he's already doing. God's not telling Paul, hey, you need to make this life-changing shift. You need to make this direction change. Instead, God's confirming him. He's saying, Paul, keep doing exactly what you're doing. Keep speaking to these people. Keep sharing your heart. Keep going to the synagogue. Keep going to the Gentiles. And do exactly what you came here to do. Speak out. Don't be silent. Let your voice be heard. Third point. I am with you. Paul's not alone. I mean, sure, Timothy and Silas, they've come back and they're with him. But beyond that, Paul Paul was never alone. Because God is there. And God's making that clear as day right here. He's saying, I am with you. Uh, I mean, this is a theme we see throughout Acts. I mean, like the very last thing Jesus tells his disciples, um, like in Matthew 28, 19 through 20, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. But then he says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And we see that all through Acts. When people are doing God's ministry, he's present. He's there. Paul's not alone. God's always with us and he never wants us to doubt that. And he doesn't want Paul to doubt that, especially when Paul's the one carrying out God's work, carrying out that great commission. No one will attack and harm you. Not only is God with Paul, God's going to keep Paul safe. Even with all the warning signs popping up, even with Paul's own people, the Jews, threatening to come against him with tensions rising and Uh, attitudes boiling. You're going to be safe, Paul. God's got him. And finally, many people in this city belong to me. Mm -hmm. This isn't a statement of the current state of Corinth. Paul's not seen many people come to Christ yet. Paul's not seen his ministry thrive and succeed. In fact, he's seen the opposite. But God's telling him, hey, the battle's already won. Many people in this city belong to me. This is what the whole word of God here, this whole little speech that God is giving Paul, that's what this leads up to. Because it's obvious that God isn't talking about the current state. He's talking about the future. 
the battle's already won. Many people in this city belong to me. You're going to see success, Paul. It's on its way. So just a quick recap. God's giving Paul his own voice here and says, don't be afraid, I'm here. I've got your back and what you're doing is right. Just keep on keeping on. Keep on with the good fight. Keep spreading God's word. Keep sharing his heart. Keep sharing your heart. Keep sharing your ministry. And great success is going to be on your horizon. Sometimes all we need is just encouragement from God. It's not always this big like, make this huge change, make this huge direction shift in your life. It's just, hey, I'm here with you and you're doing the right thing. It's so good to hear that from God. And we often discount that. We often discount just encouragement. And that's exactly what Paul needed in this moment. And if Paul, this amazing figure who wrote most of our New Testament, just needed a word of encouragement from God, it's something that we can all look out for, we can all listen for in our own lives. So that's where Paul's at. Struggling, he sees all the warning signs, and God just comes and meets him on his level and is like, Paul, I'm here with you. Keep going, man. Keep going. And let's continue on with verse 11. Awesome. Thanks, Jake. So Paul stayed there. Paul stayed there for the next year and a half. He had never done that at a city before. This changed everything. Paul's like, all right, I'm not going to escape. I'm not going to worry about the threats. I know no one's going to attack me. I'm going to go. So for the next year and a half, he stayed in Corinth. Verse 12, but... Don't you hate that when things are going good? Then he got that nasty conjunction. But when Gallio became governor of Achaia, some Jews rose up together against Paul and brought him before the governor for judgment. Like, time out. Didn't God just say? And now this. I mean, if you lay it out in the ESV, my favorite translation to study, here's the way it reads. The Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, no one will attack you. The Jews made a united attack on Paul. Ever been there? But God, I thought you said. But I thought. That's where Paul must have been just for a moment or two. But listen to what happens. They accused Paul of persuading people to worship God in ways that are contrary to their law. But just as Paul was going to make his defense, you can see him in the courtyard before the governor his accusers had all laid out their case. And Paul goes, your honor, right? He's just about to make his defense. And the governor stops him before he even speaks. Listen, you Jews. If this were a case involving some wrongdoing or serious crime, I would have reason to accept your case. But since it's just a question of words and names about Jewish law, you take care of it yourselves. I refuse to judge the matters. Get out of my courtroom. And he sends them all away dismisses the case. And then look at what happens. The crowd, so mad, they grab Sosthenes, the guy who replaced Crispus, right? He was the associate synagogue leader that just got the promotion. And they grab him and they beat the tar out of him. They're so mad. Wow. What a dramatic turn of events for Paul. Paul, whom most scholars would say was probably at the low point in his missionary journey. Midway through his second missionary journey, he had been isolated and alone at least for weeks, if not a few months. Out of money, working part-time, his friends come, the attacks seem to be building. He needed a refreshment from God, and two things came. Two things in that story that we want to highlight in our last 10 minutes together. When you are in a season where you feel like, I'm lonely, I'm broke, The obstacles are beginning to cascade. I know what happened to me last time. I know the writing on the wall. I don't, I'm not sure I can withstand this. I don't know what to do. And you need a season of refreshing to come. Two things God did for Paul. One, God gave Paul a specific, timely word right then for this season of your life. And two, God sent to Paul the refreshment of friendship. So Jacob, come back. Talk to us about this word for Paul. Have you ever just needed a word from God? 
Like, I, I know I definitely have, like, multiple times in my life. Uh, but specifically, like, two years ago, I was heading into freshman year of college. And like most people that go into college, I had no clue what I was going to be doing with my life. I still kind of don't. But, <laughs> but I'm going in, and I'm like, okay, I've loved music my whole life, so I'm going to go to school. I feel like Evangel's the school God's called me to, and I'm going to go study music there, and I'm going to maybe go into music education and see how all that goes. And I get there, and it's going great. I'm making great friends, growing spiritually a ton. But there just wasn't, something wasn't clicking. God wanted to speak something to me. And I knew there was a word from God I needed on my life. And I just struggled, especially my second semester freshman year, uh, just going to all worship chapels all the time and just trying to get in God's presence and trying to hear his voice, and I just wasn't getting anything. Just fighting day in, day out. God, what do you want me to do when it comes to my education? What do you want for my major? What, what do you want me to pursue? Um, and it just wasn't working. And that can be really discouraging sometimes. But I think there's more to it than just fighting, than just going back and forth with God. And in fact, I think there's really three things we can do to get to that word, uh, to really open ourselves up to hear that from God. And the first one is active waiting. Uh, Look and listen. Look at the things around you. Listen to the voices around you. Um, Pay attention to what God is doing in the world. Pay attention to what God is doing to the, through the people in your lives. And if you study his word, you know his word, you're going to know his voice. You're going to know what he sounds like. I mean, if, imagine if you spent like half an hour a day just reading books from the same author, like Stephen King, for example. If you just read Stephen King novels half an hour a day for every day of your life, you would know exactly what he sounds like. You could hear an audio recording of his voice. You could hear someone quoting some of his material. And you'd be like, oh, that's the way he speaks. That's the way his sentences are structured. That's the pacing of his writing, the pacing of his storytelling. Hmm. It's the same with God. When we study the Bible, when we read the Bible, that's how God speaks. That's how God sounds. It's his themes, his message, his word. And it doesn't matter if we're hearing that through a good book we're reading or from a person that's speaking into our lives, when it's God's voice, when it's godly, we're going to recognize it. We're going to hear that. Secondly, we find what we're seeking. As a freshman in college, I was definitely seeking a specific answer from God. Uh, (laughs) I didn't want to hear what God had to say. I wanted to hear what I had to say. I wanted to hear what made me comfortable. I wanted to hear something that was like, hey, music is exactly what you're supposed to be doing. Uh, Music education, this plan that you've made for your own life, that's, that's perfect. Keep doing that. But in reality, God wants to change something. God wants to speak. And we can't tell him what to say. We can't tell God what we want to hear and expect to hear exactly that. Because that's just not how he works. (laughs) We got to open up. We got to be willing to hear what we don't want to hear. And the final thing is, the search is faith. It's the very thing, it's the very act of faith. Fighting through that, struggling through that. Devoting ourselves daily. Opening ourselves up. All of that, that whole process, that's faith in action. Faith isn't getting the word. That's easy. Hearing the word from God, that's awesome, that's empowering, that's exciting. But it's not faith. Faith is the act of getting there. Faith is the day-to-day work that we put in to hearing God, to knowing God. Hmm. And when we have all that, he's going to speak. It may not be exactly what we want. It may not be what we want to hear. In fact, it probably won't. But that's when we hear him. And when we get that word, we've got to hold on to it. We've got to value it. We've got to cherish it. Hmm. Because it's going to be tested. And it's not going to be easy. Even when it's just encouragement like Paul received, it wasn't easy. The attack came very quickly after he received the word from God. In fact, just a mat, dad's already talked about this a little bit, but like Paul just heard from God, no one will attack you, no one's going to harm you, or at least that's how Paul would have heard it. Like, you're going to be completely safe. And we all like to, we hear God 
And once we've already opened up, we've heard God's voice, but even then we like to twist it in our own ways. We like to put it through our own lenses. And what Paul probably heard and what we probably hear is no no one will attack you. No one's going to harm you. You're going to be perfectly safe. Life's going to be easy. It's going to be this nice, cushy, Nerf football life. Just keep doing what you're doing. Everything's going to be okay. But in reality, what God did say was no one will attack and harm you. Paul wasn't harmed. God kept his word, exactly how he said it. We just hear what we want to hear. We hear no attack. We hear attack free. But when God speaks, he speaks intentionally. And we've got to take that and hold on to it. Write it down. Journal it. Study it. Devote yourself to it. Because God doesn't speak for no reason. He speaks intentionally. When you need a specific word from God... Set yourself up to hear it and then cherish it. Grasp onto it when you get it. How many of you need a specific word from God today? I, I think we all do sometimes, but sometimes there's just rough seasons. I've been there. In fact, I, I've just recently come out of one where I finally heard God's voice and listened to it and it was just a great experience and I'm so thankful for it. And we go through that. We go through that ebb and flow. But for how many of us need a word from God today? Mm. Let me take it one step further. How many of you just need God to be present with you, like in your life, like full time? Because it's not just the seasonal thing. Like sometimes a word from God, it is seasonally based and it's, getting through step-by-step different challenges that get thrown your way. But sometimes we also just need a whole life change. Sometimes we just need God to be there at all times. We just need to know God for the long haul. I don't know who's out there today. I don't know where each of you are at but I have a feeling that there's some of us out there that are just struggling to see God's presence in the day-to-day life right now. And if we could all maybe just heads bowed, eyes closed, just think about where God has us right now. Think about where we're at with God right now. And if you're just here and you're thinking, I need God in my life every day. I just need to give my life to God. I just need to accept that Jesus died for me and that he died and he rose again so that the Spirit, God, the Holy Trinity, that it it just might be a part of my life every day. If that's you, just raise your hand, look at me, give give me something. And I just want to pray with you. In fact, can we all just stand together? Can we all just pray together? God, I need you to give me a word today. I need your voice in my life. God, you sent your son to die a horrific death on the cross so that we might hear your voice so that you might be with us for all eternity. And God, that's, that's something that I need every day. That's something we all need every day. That's a realization that we all can have, that we all can grasp onto, and that can change our lives, God. And I pray that your word, your voice, will just be on all of our lives going forward, that it will guide us and direct us as the challenges come, as the warning signs pop up, as, uh, as people come against us, God, that your voice will be present and that we will be strengthened because the victory is already won. You're here with us, God. God, I pray everyone in this room that we accept Christ's sacrifice, that we accept that he is our savior and that he is exactly what we need going forward in our lives. Amen. 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 Thank you, son. You may be seated.
Dad preached too long, didn't leave enough time for his boy. (laughs) So in our last two minutes, uh, let me just close with this thought. Two things happened in this story that refreshed Paul. Both are significant. God showed up with a timely word that perhaps, like I would, I would have focused on, I'm not going to be attacked. And then the attack comes, and I go, oh yeah, God, you said attack and harm me. I guess I'm all good. But there's another thing God did, and that is that God sent the refreshment of friends. It is not good that people should be alone. And when God spoke that to Adam, Adam wasn't alone because God was with him. But Adam was alone because there wasn't a partner for his life. We are not created to live by ourselves. Christianity, following Jesus, is not an independent study course. It's not an online course. You sit in your pajamas, you do it alone, sit in the test, and get the degree at the end. Christianity is lived together. We follow Jesus together We learn from Jesus together. We serve in Jesus' ministry together. Christianity is meant to be lived out together. It's not meant to be alone. And so Paul, after a season of being alone, God brought friendship back as Silas and Timothy rejoined him. Let me encourage you with this simple metaphor. Dig your wells before the drought hits. When it comes to friendships... Dig the well of friendship so when the drought comes, you've got something to draw out of. Maybe you're in a season now where things are nice and easy, things are steady, things are good. You're starting to follow Jesus, you're doing just fine. When the drought hits, you want the well to already have been dug. Can I encourage you to live your life in relationship with one another? And I just want to quickly highlight three ways, three things happening just right now at First Assembly. If you're here and you're following Jesus, but you find yourself alone, here's three things. Number one, young married couples golf. Everyone give a big round of applause. This is going to be a lot of fun. Big round of applause. There we go. The Young Marrieds Golf event that's coming up on August 18th. Um, You go to Facebook, find that event. Go play putt-putt. Go play mini golf and build some friendships and see where God will take those relationships. Now, many of you are asking, am I a young married couple, right? (laughs) What do you mean by, that's going around on Facebook. What do you mean by young married? Do I qualify? So I got some helpful hints. Number one, if you're asking the question, probably not. (laughs) Number one, here we go. If you watched Dukes of Hazzard and changed the channel by hand, you're probably too old. If you've lived to watch records go from cool to passe to antiquated back to cool again, you're too old. If you've used your index finger to call someone, not by pushing, but by spinning the circle, you're too old. All right? So if you said no to all of those, you might just be young enough to be, and if you're married, come on out. So putt-putt. In all seriousness, we'd love to have you there. If you're a young married couple... If you're engaged, um, I'm going to bend to some rules a little bit. You've got the date set. Come on out. Have a good time. I'd rather you break a few rules and be, be uh, restricted. So come have a great time, young couples, and, and be a part of that. Number two, celebrate recovery. I called a recent guest to our church. Said, hey, I'd like to invite you to CR. Heard his story. I'm not an addict. And, and I said, oh, that's a great point. Not everyone there is. In fact, most aren't. Sometimes we get in this mindset that Celebrate Recovery is for those that are stuck in addiction. And that is a piece of what Celebrate Recovery is, but it's by no means not the entirety of it. In fact, almost everybody I know has some hang-ups, some hurts, and some hardships in their life. And when those become something you need to be redeemed out of, you need to break free some life-controlling, life-hindering situations and make some powerful friendships with a forever family. With a forever family. And some of us need to lower the guard and show up on Tuesday night, 7 o'clock, be here for worship, be a part of that forever family, and find the acceptance, love, and mercy of Christian friendship. Finally, growth track. 
Option number three, for anyone who's new to the faith, new to the church, or you just need a new start. If you're here, say, I want to follow Jesus. I love First Assembly. That pastor's son can preach really well, and the, other, the old guy's okay. <laughs> Think, I, I, I want to be here. But you need to start developing friendships in a life group, in a ministry group, a teaching group, and you don't know where to begin. Growth track, Sundays, first service, every week, uh, be there. It's in our conversation room. You can take that You Belong Here card. Just mark I'm interested in growth track and friendships can grow. Can we all stand together this morning? I'm going to invite our prayer team to come to the front today. We've talked about a lot, um, but at some point in today's service, God may have spoken to you. It may have been something Zach Rainey said as he led us in worship today. It may have been a lyric in a song. Could have been a prayer. Could have been something about Royal Family Kids Camp. Could have been something that Jacob talked about or something you heard as I was speaking and God pricked your heart. I want to invite you, when most of us are walking toward the lobby, would you come forward and spend a few moments in prayer? Solidify what God is beginning to do in a moment of prayer, one-on-one with this prayer team. Would you bow with me before we go? Jesus, what a beautiful service today. We're thankful for what you've done, and we're thankful for what you're doing. Jesus, if there are those in this room who need to hear a word from you, I pray that they would not quickly walk out, but they would come to the front and solidify that in prayer, and that their faithful act of seeking your voice would be fulfilled. Answer them, O God. Pray for those that may feel isolated or alone in their faith. Provide for them friendship. And Jesus, this afternoon, as the royal family team heads to Decatur, Kids come here, this property at our church tomorrow morning, then we bust them down to Decatur. Give, up, give them a powerful, life-changing week in you, in Jesus' name. We hope that you got a lot out of today's message and that you'll share it with a friend. To stay connected with what's happening here at First Assembly, be sure to go to the App Store and type in 1AGBN to download the app. Remember, God's created you for a great purpose. Now go and live it out today.